0: Welcome our satellites. We've got groups that are starting all over our city. We've got one uh, in Oregon. Joanna Geesey. I don't know if you guys remember Jeff Geesey. Some of you know Jeff used to be on our staff. They've uh, started a satellite up in Oregon. So super excited about that group beginning. Glad to be with you. We are in the book of Romans. If you've got your Bible uh, on your phone or with you, uh, would you open it to Romans chapter 1 and we're going to be in verse Eight, starting in verse 8. If you don't have a Bible, that's okay. Just follow along with me as I read it and that kind of thing. But if you got one, um, put your finger there because that's where we're going to start. We're in the book of Romans. We're going to be traveling through this book. If there's only one book that you study in the Bible, it should probably be Romans. Uh, I could probably argue some other ones too, but I'm going to say Romans is the book. Romans is the clearest um, presentation of the Christian message. If you want to know what is Christianity about, what do we believe, how do we live that out, it's all packed there in the book of Romans. Romans was a letter that Paul, we talked about Paul last week, um, that Paul wrote to this kind of fledgling Christian church. The Christian church was fairly new and on the scene and it was made up of Folks who were Jewish, who had been Jewish, and folks who were Gentile. And usually when we say Gentile, we just kind of mean almost everybody else, okay? And so it was this church of uh, Jewish folk and Gentile folk who are now choosing to follow and worship Jesus, um, knowing him to be the Messiah. And so there was uh, some debate within them. How do you know if you're really a Christian, um, what does it mean to be a Christian? Are there laws and rules you need to keep? Do you need to, if you're, you know, do we take the Jewish law and we bring that into this new uh, faith, um, or maybe we don't? And they were going back and forth on this kind of stuff. How do you know if you're really a Christian? How do you know how to live that out? How do we act as the church? And so Paul is writing this letter to this church to kind of explain. Hey, here's the Christian gospel new good news right you in your study guide this past week if you were able to get to that we talked a lot about the word gospel we're going to talk more about it uh even this morning so let me pray and then we're going to open the scripture father i do pray would you do what only you can do would you take words off of a page Would you take words out of really fallible lips of mine and bring them to life? Would your spirit teach us this morning? Would your presence be experienced here among us? Would you do a work that doesn't just inform us, But it transforms us. It changes us. It moves from our ears to our mind to our heart. Oh, Holy Spirit, come. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. So starting in verse 8, Paul says this. He says, first, I thank my God through Jesus Christ for all of you. Because your faith is being reported all over the world. This this church in Rome, it's a major city, and it's this church, their faith in Jesus is being reported all over the world. He says, God, whom I serve in my spirit in preaching the gospel of his son. That's, that's what the gospel is. The gospel, the good news, the message of Christianity is about the son. You could just write this. This could be your only note for today. Jesus, okay? God is my witness how constantly I remember you in my prayers at all times. And I pray that now at last, by God's will, the way may be opened for me to come to you. Paul wants to see them. He says in verse 11, he says, I long to see you so that I may impart to you some spiritual gift to make you strong. You want that gift? You want that spiritual gift? that would make you strong. He says in verse 12, that is that you and I may be mutually encouraged by each other's faith. I love that that's the spiritual gift he wants to bring, encouragement. He wants to come and he wants to encourage them because encouragement strengthens the church. Encouragement strengthens the follower of Christ. That's why we don't just come and worship and have some teaching, but we get together and we sit around a circle in a group and we encourage each other. That's what you're going to do today. You're going to encourage each other. And that is a spiritual gift. And that is a spiritual gift that strengthens you and strengthens those who are with you. So Paul's excited to come and bring that gift of encouragement. Verse 13, I do not want you to be unaware, brothers and sisters, that I planned many times to come to you, but have been prevented from doing so until now, in order that I might have a harvest among you, just as I have had among the other Gentiles. When he's speaking this language of harvest, there was a point when Jesus said, pray for the harvest, pray for the labors, pray for the harvest, pray for those who will come in to this community. Pray that for those who will come into this community of faith. And Paul says, I can't wait to be with you. Because there's going to be a harvest. Do you believe that, Los Angeles? Yeah. There's going to be a harvest. God is going to do something in this city. In this place. Because we got together. And we c- encouraged one another. And we strengthened one another. And he says, I can't wait to be with you. And then he says... In verse 14, I am obligated both to Greeks and to non-Greeks, both to the wise and to the foolish. That is why I am so eager to preach the gospel also to you who are in Rome. I love this. He's saying, I'm obligated not just to Jews, not just to Greeks, but non-Greeks, not just to the intellectual, you know, smart people, that 's how smart I am, the intellectual, smart people, but but thank God, to the foolish, to the unwise i 'm obligated to everyone to preach the gospel, and then he shares in verse sixteen and this verse sixteen and seventeen really are the theme of the whole book of Romans. This is his thesis statement. this is what he is going to lay out for the next um, 15 chapters, he says in verse 16, For I am not ashamed of the gospel. I'm not ashamed of this message of Jesus. I'm not ashamed that I believe that Jesus is the Christ. I'm not ashamed that I believe that Jesus' life, death, and resurrection is true. And life-altering. I'm not ashamed of this gospel. What is the gospel? The gospel is grace. The gospel is grace come through Jesus. And then he says this. What is this gospel? It is the power of God. It is the power of God. Underline that. It is the power of God that brings salvation to everyone who believes, first to the Jew, then to the Gentile. For in the gospel, the righteousness of God is revealed. How do we know we have a right standing with God? See, we don't like that word righteousness. I don't, we don't use it much. It seems so religious. But to them, they wanted righteousness. They wanted a right standing with God. They wanted to belong to God. And he's saying, the gospel is the power, for in the gospel, the righteousness of God is revealed. A righteousness that is by faith from first to last, just as it is written, the righteous will live by faith. The righteous will live by faith. You see, the gospel in Paul's day, when he says, I'm not ashamed of the gospel, he's proclaiming something pretty profound and pretty bold and pretty courageous because the gospel in his day and the gospel in Rome was despised. Pagans saw this new Christian religion as atheism. They saw it as a godless religion because to them, people weren't following a god. They were following a man, Jesus of Nazareth, who'd walked around, right? And they're like, who follows a man? This is atheism. The Jews, of course... They didn't like this new Christian religion because they saw it as subverting the law, the Torah. They saw it as inviting licentiousness, just this kind of freedom. Just do whatever you want. Ignore the Torah. Ignore the Old Testament. Jews and Gentiles alike denounced Christianity because they saw it as disrupting the peace. People were getting killed. People were being thrown into prison. Debates were happening all over the city about this religion. The gospel was despised, but Paul says, I'm not ashamed of that gospel. It's not really that different in our world, is it? Right. You see, I think sometimes as Christians, we are ashamed of the gospel. We're a little bit embarrassed. We're not quite sure that we want our coworkers to know we're Christians, right? how many times have we heard friends who work in the industry in Hollywood who had to come out as Christians right and it was scary and i get that because here's why we're afraid here's why we're a little bit embarrassed because we're afraid that our neighbors or our coworkers if they know that we're a Christian then they will automatically assume that we're narrow minded they're automatically going to assume that we are just intellectually deaf, that we have just turned off our brains, right? If they know that we're followers of Christ, they're going to assume that we're condemning. They're going to assume that we're judgmental to anybody who's not like us, right? And there is reasons that they feel that way. But unfortunately, it's seeped into us. And it's created a shame and an embarrassment. But Paul says he's not ashamed. He's not ashamed of the gospel because it is the power of God that brings salvation to everyone, to everyone who believes. The gospel is the life-altering good news grounded in history. Remember that if you did your homework, the etymology of that word gospel, it wasn't just a religious word. It was first a secular word used in the marketplace, used amongst just common people. They used it as the language to describe something that had happened in time and space, that had happened in history, that had altered things for the good. For the very good, right? And so this Christian gospel is something that Paul knew had happened in time and space. It was rooted, it was grounded in history. In this case, this good news, this life-altering good news was the life, the death, and the resurrection of the God-man, Jesus Jesus lived the perfect life. We can't even get our minds around it. He lived the perfect life that we are incapable of living. He died the death that we deserved. That we might have life in him. That our life might be radically altered forever. Today and the next day. It's this event in history that is the power of God for salvation to all who believe. For decades, people have come to me, probably somewhat because of what I do, but I think they come to a lot of you too in these same conversations. People have come to me for advice about God, right? They want to know, how do you become a Christian? They want to know if they are a Christian. They want to know if they're okay with that God. They want, to, they want advice about how to do this thing with God, right? And so they come to me and we have these conversations and usually the conversations go in a couple of different directions, and one direction that they go is they're beginning, they're asking these questions and they're wanting to know and they're kind of thinking, you know, am I really a Christian? What do I need to be doing? Should I do more of this? Should I do less of that? Um, I think I was a Christian, but then I kind of did. Man, I went that way, that way. Am I still a Christian? And what do you think? And what would you advise? And how would you do? And then they'll pause. And it's funny because I I remember doing this before I became a Christian, um, saying this, having these conversations with my Christian friends. And and you kind of like, you're talking and you're kind of trying to figure out. And then you want to make sure that they know that, um, well, I mean, I did something, but I mean, I'm not that bad. Like, you know, like they want, you know, and I did, you know, I I, I like, I mean, I know this Christian thing is about being saved from sin and all that kind of stuff, and I know I got some sin, but, but, oh, just in case, as we were talking, you were starting to fill in some gaps with things that maybe aren't true or true, I don't, I just want you to know. I mean, there's genocide and there's me. I'm not that bad, Right? Because here's what they're doing. Here's what I was doing. I'm measuring my right standing with God. I'm measuring my righteousness on an Excel spreadsheet, right? You see, what I figured was if I could just balance, if if my good thoughts, if my good deeds Uh, outweighed my bad thoughts and my bad deeds, and if at the bottom of the spreadsheet it came out positive for the day, I mean, it just needed to be like, even if it was a zero, I was probably okay. If I was just kind of balancing that out. You see, that's how so often we approach this Christianity thing. We approach this God thing. If my Excel spreadsheet works out in the end, I'm probably okay, right? It's all going to work out. In the end. But. Here's the problem. This is an exhausting way to live. Right. Because here's the bigger problem. Certainly we know that we can't measure up to the standard of God. But I can't even measure up to my standard for you. Right. Because see I have a standard for you. I have how you should live toward me. I have how you should live. Now, I can't actually measure up to it, but I'm pretty adamant that you should. (laughs) You should not gossip. And if you ever gossip about me, oh, (laughs) you should not lie. You should only be encouraging towards me. You should always be on time when we're going to get together. You, you should only say nice and good things, right? I mean, the list could go on of my standard for you. You should always be forgiving, quickly and completely, never to bring it up again. We can't even live up to that standard that we have for other people, right? That we have for ourselves sometimes the conversation goes another direction and this is always very tender and very holy it's the same conversation we're talking about you know how do i know if i'm right with god i don't know if i'm a christian i I think i'm a christian i prayed a prayer sometime back in 1998 um i you know walked an aisle i did this thing but then i don't know and what do you think and what do you advise and should i do this and should i go to that thing and should i and then, then they'll say this. And we'll be talking. And I'll be listening. And then they'll lean forward. And they'll say, but you don't know what I've done. But you don't know what I've done. And in that moment, there is this sense that what I've done cancels everything that you've just said you've told me that the gospel of Jesus is about grace you've told me that it's a gift but if you knew what I've done nobody's done this maybe some other people I went to college with have done it but (laughs) and some of the things that people share are really 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 heartbreaking right and here's the thing in those moments in those really holy moments when somebody is just at the end of themselves when they've been carrying a weight of this thing that they've done that they've thought that they've experienced the thing that's coming to your mind right now. Right? They've been carrying that thing for so long. And in that moment. I am so glad that the gospel is not just good advice. I'm so glad that the Bible is not just a how to do this religion book. I am so glad in that moment that the gospel is the power of god that in that moment whether it's the person who's using their spreadsheet to try to figure it out if they're okay with god or that person who's sitting in the pit of their depravity and doesn't know how to get out of it and it seems so deep and it seems so far down that the gospel is a power and it's not just any power It's not a power of positive thinking. It's not a power of trying harder. It is the power of the living God. It is the power of the God who spoke oceans into being. It is the power of the God who spoke and stars hung in the universe. It is the power of the God who put inside a womb, an embryo, And grew it to be the very Son of God, the very heart of the gospel, Jesus Himself. You see, what we need, what we need when we're striving and we're performing and we're working out our spreadsheet, what we need when we're in that pit, in the farthest place down. We need the power of God that brings salvation, rescue, change, transformation to everyone who believes. In the gospel, in the gospel, the righteousness of God is revealed. A righteousness that is by faith. Just as it is written that the righteous will live by faith. You see, the gospel is the power of God. And what God does is God changes us. What God does is he creates and he recreates and he transforms. It is a transforming power. It is a power that changes everything. It is a pursuing power. Paul is eager, he says in verse 15, he is eager to preach the gospel because it is good news. And here's the good news. Christianity is not performing for God. Christianity is not performing for God. It is surrendering to the pursuit of God. Our God is not a God who stands and says, perform, 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 do more, do more, do more, do more. Yeah, you got to go to that and you got to go to that and you better not miss church and you better not do this. You Our God is a God who comes after us and pursues us and seizes us and takes us as his own. And we surrender to that pursuit. So we can stop being ashamed of the gospel. We can stop being ashamed of the gospel. Friends, I just want to remind you this morning. The gospel is not narrow. It is for everyone. Who, when the religious people, what were they most disturbed about by Jesus' life? Who he hung out with? The weddings he'd go to? Right? And who did Jesus hang out with? Sinners. Partiers. To the point that there's one place, I remember as a new believer, I thought this was so stunning to me, there's this one place that it says that Jesus had a reputation amongst people as a drunkard. Because he had so associated, I don't think he was a drunkard, but he had so associated and he had spent so much time with Sinners. Partiers, prostitutes, right? The gospel is not narrow. It is for everyone who believes. Now, the gate is narrow. And Jesus says he's the gate, right? John chapter 10. He says he's the gate. He says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. The only way to the Father is through me. But here's the good news. Everyone is welcome through the gate. Everyone is welcome through the gate. They don't have to get their act together before they go through the gate. Everyone is welcome through the gate. Everyone is welcome through Jesus. The gospel is not narrow. You don't have to be ashamed. The gospel is not condemning it's the path to freedom. Paul's going to say this later in Romans chapter 8. He's going to lay out all of this gospel good news from Romans 1 all the way through about to Romans chapter 8. And he's going to say, This is who you are, and this is who God is, and this is what he's done for you. And therefore, Romans 8 1, there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. There is no condemnation, and then he's going to lay out, we're going to talk about this next session, but then he's going to lay out the freedom that is found in Christ. The gospel is not condemning. The gospel is not judgmental. If somebody has had a true and authentic and real encounter with the gospel, they are marked not by judgment. We're going to talk about that in a couple of weeks. They are marked not by judgment. They are marked by humility. They are marked by humility. They are marked by the humility of one who knows that they have not earned and they do not deserve. You see, I get my paycheck, it just automatically into my bank account twice a month, right? And to be honest, it doesn't stun me. I'm not in awe of receiving it. Some, just to be honest, Sometimes I think it should be more. (laughs) I deserve more. I work really hard. I think of the hours I work. I think of the sleep I've lost. I think of the people I work with. I deserve more. (laughs) Right? I'm not stunned by that amount being put into my bank account. But what if you open your bank account one day And a month's salary was just in there and you didn't even work for it. You didn't even do anything for it. It was just there. Woo! (laughs) You are excited. You call your bank. They say, no, it's not a mistake. You call the person who put it in there and they're saying, no, we just had a little extra, wanted to throw it your way. Oh, my gosh, you are Hawaii, Costa Rica, New Zealand, You are Lexus. You are whatever. I mean, you are just, yes, thank you. That is the heart of a Christ follower. There is a humility. There is a celebration. Because you know you didn't do anything to deserve it. You didn't do anything to earn it. Paul's going to speak to that too in Romans chapter 5, verse 8. He says this. He says, this is how God demonstrated his love for you. This is how he brought the gospel to you. This is how the power of God came upon you. While you were still a sinner. While you were still stuck in the pit. While you were still standing outside the gate. Christ died for you. And said, come on in. Come on in. Right. The gospel's not narrow. It is not condemning. It is not judgmental. And guess what? This is good news. It is not just for an eternal salvation. It is for a salvation today. It is, the gospel is the power of God not to just change us when we die. But to change us while we live, right? You see, some of you, you you're like, I know, I know, I know. I've saved by grace, i was saved I know there's something put in my bank account, yay me. Yeah. But here's what you're doing. You know that you were saved by grace, but you're acting like now you have to live by works. You're still striving. You're still performing. But the gospel is an invitation to rest. Because the gospel is the power of someone else. Not you. Not me. Not my performance. Not my strategies. Not my competencies. The gospel is the power of God. It's not just good advice. It's not just how to live a good religious way. It is the power to change us, transform us. It is a power that carries us. It is a power that comes and indwells us. Jesus says, it's good that I'm going to go because when I go, I'm going to send my Holy Spirit, God himself, and he's going to come live in you. And you know what the Holy Spirit brings? The Holy Spirit brings power. Power to change you from the inside out. Power to use you. Power to transform your purposes. Power to transform your affections. The power of God is going to seize you, and it's going to come upon you, and it's going to rescue you, and it's going to change everything. And that's what happened to Paul, right? Remember, we talked last week. Paul had an encounter with the living power of God. Paul, talk about a performer. Paul was a performer. He was a religious performer. He had it all down. He had, the, he had his family background going for him. He was a Pharisee of Pharisees. He had it all. He was on his way to perform. He was on his way to pull those Christian people and put them in prison and make sure that his religion stayed pure. He's a performer. He's got it down. And in the middle of his performance, which is such a grace, God didn't even wait for him to stop performing. God pursued him. God came down upon him. And it knocked Paul right off his feet. Remember that? Knocked him on the ground. We have a beautiful picture. I was thinking about this when I um, was preparing. Uh, what came to mind for me was this picture. And I, I didn't realize, I didn't realize it was so long ago, 2002. If you were around, maybe you remember, uh, there was a point when nine men were trapped 240 feet down in a mine shaft in Pennsylvania. Remember that? It's such a beautiful visual picture of the gospel and what the gospel does. Because these nine men were trapped in darkness. And that's what the Bible tells us. That our sin, our thoughts, our actions, our waywardness, our tendency to go away from God rather than to God. All those things is a darkness. John chapter 1 says that there was a darkness and the light came into that darkness, Jesus. And the darkness could not comprehend the light. And these men were in this darkness And I love this, but the rescuers, they went down. They didn't just call down. Hey, you might want to put your left foot there, put your right hand over there, see if you can get yourself out of there. No, first they went down. And that's what we have. We have a God who's come down. Right? We do not, different than any other religion. We do not have a God who's way up here saying, Get it right, and then you can come join me. We have a God who said, You're never going to get it right. I'm going to come join you. <laughs> I'm going I'm to put on flesh. And as the message version says of John chapter 1, Jesus came, God Himself came, and He put on flesh, and He moved into the neighborhood. He moved into your neighborhood. He moved into my neighborhood. And these rescuers, they went down. And then what did they do? They had that, if you remember this, they had this big tube thing. And they went down, and then they sent the tube down, and the guys had to step into that tube. And then the tube came up, and if you remember watching it on the news, this tube comes up, and then the first guy comes out, and they'd put uh, glasses on him, because at that point, he couldn't handle the light just yet, right? And that's somewhat true for us. That was what happened to Paul. He couldn't totally handle the presence of God. But they came up, and that's a little bit like our salvation. Because you do have to do one thing. You have to believe. And they had to believe they had to believe that that tube would be safe. They had to believe that that tube would rescue them. And so here was the salvation for the miner, was he just had to put his feet inside that tube. And that's actually how Paul describes being a Christian. He says to be a Christian is to be in Christ. To step into Christ to wrap the identity of Christ around your identity that it begins to be transformed into His identity. To believe, to let that tube carry them up, to let Christ carry you into His very possession. And the beautiful thing of that event in history, it was a gospel good news. All nine of them were saved. All nine of them were rescued, right? We do not have to be ashamed of this gospel. We can receive it. It's available to all who believe. We can share it with courage, with grace, with humility. We can live it. We can let it alter our priorities. We can let it alter our affections. We can let it alter our marriages, our friendships, our relationships, our purpose. Will you surrender? Will you put both feet into Jesus this morning? Some of you need to do that for the first time. And simply you just say, I believe. And you're a Christian. It's mind-bogglingly simple. Some of you, to step back in and you need to stop living your christian faith by performance and works and you need to start afresh and you need to receive what he's put in your bank account because he keeps putting a deposit every day every moment every second his holy spirit does not leave you the language in the scripture when Paul says be filled with the Holy Spirit, be filled with God Himself, is keep being filled. Keep yielding yourself to Him. Keep receiving His deposit. Keep receiving His power. Oh, Father, I pray that for us. And maybe in this moment, would you just... If you feel comfortable, maybe put your palms up. That you might receive afresh the power of God that brings you salvation and righteousness, right standing with God. But that power that continues to empower your faith To empower your purposes. To empower your life. Would you just receive. I'm just going to let us be silent for just a moment. Receive his power. Let him whisper to you where he wants to give you power. Where do you feel stuck, receive his power? Where do you feel lost, confused, anxious, weary? Receive his power. And remember his power sometimes comes very quietly. Very gently. Abba, Daddy, Father, give us courage to live in your power. Give us patience with your transforming work. Give us perseverance when we don't feel our faith today, but we just have to believe it. Come, Lord Jesus, come. We praise you and we worship you. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, amen.